Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media, the executive producer and co-host of the show. At Pop Health Week, we engage industry leadership and stakeholder voices spanning payer provider, patient vendor, and regulatory communities in population health best practices and strategy. Connect with us via www.popupstudio.productions or follow and direct message me on Twitter at Greg Masters MPH, and that is Greg with two G's. On today's special episode of Pop Health Week, our guests are Ronald B. Postuma, MD, Master of Science, professor at McGill University and the Research Institute of the McGill University Health Center, and Alistair Noyce, member Royal College of Physicians, Ph.D., a consultant neurologist at Queen Mary Hospital of London and Bart's Health NHS Trust. We discuss recent developments in the race to detect, treat, and optimally cure Parkinson's disease. The interview was conducted live at the recently concluded Michael J. Fox Foundation's annual gathering in New York. And with that introduction, Fred, over to you. Thanks so much, Greg, and Drs. Pastuma and Noyce. Welcome to Pop Health Week. Pleasure to be here. Nice to meet you. It's fantastic to get you both on the show. We're here at the Michael J. Fox Foundation Annual Parkinson's Research Meeting in New York, so you'll pick up a little bit of background as people are walking by. But why don't we start with you, Dr. Pastuma. Please tell us a little bit about your background and your clinic. Sure. I'm a movement disorder specialist, a Parkinson's neurologist. I work in Canada, in Montreal. I'm at the Montreal Neurological Institute. I also do a lot of work and research on early stages of Parkinson's disease. And you, Dr. Noyce? Yeah, nice to be here. So uh, my name's Alistair Noyce. I'm a consultant neurologist in London at Bart's Health NHS Trust in Queen Mary University of London. And like Dr. Postuma, I'm very interested in the early stages of Parkinson's disease and uh, early detection. Well, fantastic. Given that early stages mention and uh, the work, obviously, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a major announcement on biomarkers. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that, perhaps starting with you? Sure, yeah. So this is something that uh, the field has really become very interested in the last few years. And the essential uh, concept here is the ability to make what used to be an autopsy diagnosis, in other words, documentation of the abnormal protein that we think is important in Parkinson's disease, namely synuclein, rather than having to look at it in the brain on autopsy to be able to detect it in life. And there have been a few methods that have been developed. Uh, for example, uh, skin biopsies are, are extremely promising as a way to pick this up. Uh, and then the other new one, which is uh, part of this new paper, is uh, using what's called a seeding assay, uh, a way sort of to biochemically, if you will, detect the abnormal protein as it's in all of our tissues. Uh, and there's been a lot of studies suggesting that this is extremely promising as a, a diagnostic marker of Parkinson's disease, not a progression, but a diagnostic marker even in the early stages. And the recent Lancet Neurology paper is a terrific confirmation of that in a very, very large group of people really showing that we're looking at 95% or so of people with Parkinson's disease who also have olfactory loss, whoever also have synuclein in their brain, are testing positive on these tests. And that really does change the game, at least for research now, if not in the clinics. Mm -hmm. And your thoughts on that, Dr. Noyce? Yeah, I would echo that. I mean, as it stands, we have uh, good treatment for the symptoms of Parkinson's disease, but no cures and nothing that slows down the disease process. And we believe that the two main reasons for that is one, 
that we don't get to people early enough in the disease process. We make the diagnosis too late in the in the disease process. And the second thing is that we get the diagnosis wrong, a reason, you know, an appreciable number of times. And so what Dr. Postuma was just saying and what this new paper shows in the work uh, before it is that now we potentially have a marker that not only allows us to detect disease at a much earlier stage, but also be very certain about what the underlying disease is. So that, that is really important. Uh, a really important foundation to take the next steps to clinical trials. Mm -hmm. So really for the first time we can say if this test was done and shows it's positive in a sense, then that person has Parkinson's or is going to progress most likely to Parkinson's? Yeah, a little complicated on that score actually yeah. because you know there's a controversy about what happens if you don't have synuclein in your brain but you have Parkinson's uh, as clinically defined. Uh, is that still Parkinson's or not? Uh, when a test gets this good, we really start to challenge our definition, and there is no single correct answer to that. But I think what it can tell you, the test, with exquisite reliability is, do you have the synuclein protein, pathologic synuclein protein, that we think is extremely important in Parkinson's disease? And that's what it does very well. And I guess because of that also, it gives us more opportunities to suddenly look at research and say, well, how do we look at this now, or what do we study next? Exactly. And you mentioned something else that's interesting and I think is important for people to understand is this idea of loss of smell. I know that the Parkinson's Foundation it sends out a, a smell test kit now to individuals throughout the United States if they'd like it. And, and I guess that's related to being at risk or a high, slightly higher risk to having or getting Parkinson's? Yeah, absolutely. So we recognize that smell loss is one of the earliest uh, features of Parkinson's disease. More people at the point of diagnosis of Parkinson's have smell loss than actually have tremor. So it really is a core feature of the disease. And what this new research has shown is that that uh, loss of smell is also intimately tied to the synuclein signature in the CSF. Um, there is now a program underway called Smell Test Direct, which, is, um, which has been initiated by PPMI to find people in the general population who've lost their sense of smell. But actually, in the UK, we've, we've been doing this for a very long time. We, we've had a project for over 10 years called Predict PD, where we recruit people online, we ask them some questions, then we send them a smell test in the post and risk stratify them for, for future Parkinson's. So I think the, the field has appreciated that, that uh, loss of smell is really important in the early stages, and these new findings really underline that. And so that's mm -hmm. a great strategy for, for going forwards. And I know, Dr. Noyce, you've been doing, as you talked about, that study's been going on for a while. What's been the response? Because obviously we're launching it here, we're starting to see some response numbers, but in the UK, what have you seen in terms of response from individuals to take that test? So, so I think um, Smell Test Direct will be on a, on a scale that we are, you know, unfamiliar with. It will be several orders of magnitude larger, but our, our, um, our experience in the UK has been very positive. So we, we've recruited uh, um, 10,000 people online to predict PD and sent out thousands of smell tests. When we were running the study at an earlier stage, we found that we could send out smell tests to people, they would do them online, we could send out spit tests and they would send us back their DNA. And also the people that we thought were, were higher risk would actually come to London, come and have brain scans and have more invasive investigations. So I think there's, a, there's an appetite within the general population to understand uh, their risk of, of, of neurological disease as they get older, at least in some sections of the population. And Dr. Pasuma, you've been involved in this PPMI for a while now. I don't recall how long. What, what's your sense of it, and how's it been going? 
Well, it's uh, growth. Uh, so I think the, the PPMI started off as a study really uh, for early Parkinson's as clinically defined. In other words, people with rigidity, tremor, bradykinesia, etc. And now the big change over the last five years or so is the effort to go earlier and to get people at those early stages of Parkinson's disease, which we would often call prodromal, but really meaning early Parkinson's before the motor symptoms show up. And this is going on a scale uh, that is difficult to replicate, uh, especially with the things like Smell Test Direct. Uh, and so a great opportunity to get people in early and then the next phase, of course, to, to try and do something about the underlying pathology, namely a neuroprotective trials that target not the symptoms so much, but target the underlying aging process of Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as I think about this, it becomes more of a chronic disease management model in a sense, once we can begin to identify treatment options and things like that, and then get those out to the community. But obviously that's gonna take years, I would imagine, of some research, but you have targets now and things like that. Is that right? Yeah, targets, and I think the, um the, the fact is it's unlikely to be a single drug for all mm -hmm. patients. It's highly likely that it's going to be different targets that are relevant to different patients. And, you know, there's an awful lot of work that needs to be done in trying to understand which patients will respond to which drugs. Mm -hmm. And you recently joined this, the PPMI study, Dr. Noyce. So what were some of the reasons you're thinking to do that? So two main reasons. One, we've been running Predict PD for a very long time in the UK, but um, by partnering with PPMI, it really gives us a, a very nice opportunity to uh, take certain Predict PD participants into a more um, exploratory intensive uh, period of research with the PPMI study. So that was a really important uh, thing for us to be able to offer our participants. Uh, the second thing, which is unrelated to Predict PD, but where I live and work in London, is actually one of the most diverse parts of the of the UK. So uh, less than 50% of the local population is white British. There's a large South Asian population, an Afro-Caribbean population. And, and one of the things that PPMI is really keen to do is recruit patients from diverse backgrounds. So I think we can really add a lot of value to, to PPMI with our diverse recruitment. Yeah, it's fantastic. You know, we had a presentation on that yesterday. It's a critical issue to try to expand the diversity of the of the individuals enrolled in PPMI. And they've also obviously launched this big online effort that's beginning to create a lot of interest in getting people enrolled. What about the conference or things that you've heard so far this uh, as we've gone through it so far, Dr. Prostuma? Right. Well, there's a lot to unpack in terms of the conference. There's, there's the, the clearest emphasis is towards, uh, you know, creating more biologically based definitions of Parkinson's disease. And I think we're still at the early stages of figuring out exactly how to do that. Uh, but uh, a good analogy would be, for example, Alzheimer's disease, which has had some amazing successes. Uh, even just yesterday, a massive announcement of a new therapy for uh, slowing down the progression of Alzheimer's. A lot of this built on the fact that there was a, a relatively clear way to make a biological diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease during life. And so you could do a scan, it would be positive, you'd have this amyloid scan. And so we're not at the stage where we have a scan. We might not even need one anymore because we've got these amazing biological markers that can really identify that a person truly has the target for, say, a synuclein-based uh, therapy. So it's we're spending a lot of thinking, uh, working out the kinks of how exactly to define that. I'm involved in some efforts, PPMI is involved in some efforts, the Movement Disorder Society, which is really the umbrella organization that should be uh, overseeing all of this, uh, is actively in, in, involved in this as well, because we need to work together uh, to come up with 
biological definitions that work across the globe as much as possible that are research-based for now. They should not be used in clinic, uh, should definitely not be used in clinic now, uh, but uh, really can move our step, our field forward to get preventative treatments or neuroprotective treatments in those early phases of Parkinson's. And yourself, Dr. Noyce, anything from the conference? Stuff? Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, a lot of the discussion now is around um, redefining Parkinson's in a in something that's more rooted in the, the pathology in the brain, in the in the biology of the disease, and with less emphasis on the on the clinical syndrome. But as Dr. Postuma said, there's still a huge amount of work to be done in that space. So this this should very much, in my opinion, remain rooted in a research setting right now, while we flesh out all of the different issues there. My concern is that these things do tend to prematurely bleed into the clinical space unless they're carefully managed. And actually, that has the potential to widen health inequalities for Parkinson's uh, at this stage. So it needs to be carefully managed, mm -hmm. but it's very exciting. What's your sense of this? Obviously, you're both deep into the research. A lot of researchers here. There are also you know, some like myself who are participants, some with Parkinson's, some without What's, what would you tell individuals with, with the d disease today based on where we're at, what we're finding? It seems like it's almost becoming the decade of neurology in a sense. I think I would say be optimistic. I don't think any miracle is happening next year, okay? We're not going to have a preventative treatment for Parkinson's next year. We are just in, some agents are in those late phase studies, which could potentially start to show something. Most of them are in earlier phases of studies. So, you know, best case scenario, we're looking three to five years for a neuroprotective treatment. That's assuming that what we have right now is really, really good. Mm -hmm. uh, and so... As, as I wish to emphasize, everything I do in the clinic right now with my patients, I had a clinic three days ago, none of the advances are really translating there. I do my clinic like I do my clinic every day. I talk about how you're, how's it going, we balance the treatments, we look optimize function, uh, this is all exactly the same. All of what we're doing here is really trying to build a new tomorrow uh, of, of stopping that underlying aging process. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I would also say thank you to the research participants like yourself because you are the ones that are driving progress in this field. And so whether you're a patient with Parkinson's disease or a relative of someone with Parkinson's or just an interested member of the general population who's volunteered to take part in the research, none of these findings would happen without people uh, willing to devote time and effort and um, themselves to, to this mm -hmm. research. It's really fantastic. Just tuning in, you're listening to Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. We're speaking with Ronald B. Postuma, MD, Master of Science, Professor at McGill University and the Research Institute of McGill University Health Center, and Alistair Noyce, Member Royal College of Physicians and PhD, Consultant Neurologist at Queen Mary University of London, Barts Health NHS Trust. Yeah, I think it's important, and I don't, you know, I don't know what the right message is to individuals, but for those who may be at risk or have Parkinson's or have a family member with that, considering getting into the study or into some portion of the study, whether the online or further as it works through the smell test, et cetera, 
is, is important because I think for the first time, I'll tell you, I was so excited after, I always have difficulties with lumbar punctures, and um, and they, they I always said, you gotta get them, we gotta get them, and then to see the, the news come out three weeks ago just made me feel great. Yeah. That I I don't know what my data is in there, or whatever, but I hope it contributed to helping something, and I think that's important, I think, uh, and for people who are interested in it or might be interested in it, really to check out the website and check out the, uh, the my PPMI online, etc. Just to see, it's not for everybody, obviously, but for those individuals who might be interested, it's definitely worth checking out. You look down. The, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I would say the people who should be most interested uh, is is the people who we talked about loss of sense of smell. That's the one thing. Uh, the other people who are really, really at risk are people who act out their dreams at night. And so this is not sleepwalking. This is not sleep talking. It's you know somewhere in your forties to fifties. All of a sudden, your bed partner notices that you're acting out, you're talking, you're moving, you're walking. And and what we found is when we get those people and we show that, uh, in fact, they have this thing called REM seat behavior disorder, we're looking at the large majority, in fact, already have Parkinson's disease, as we understand it. And so if anyone listening has that symptom, that is the one thing that is the most likely to indicate underlying Parkinson's. And the other important thing that's happening in PPMI is in the next year or a half or so, there will be starts of neuroprotective trials, what we're calling a platform trial, uh, that will look at people who have sort of relatively advanced uh, stages of REM sleep behavior disorder, sort of transitioning towards clinical Parkinson's, will be uh, put in trials uh, for preventative treatments. And uh, so it's not within a couple of years it's not just going to be measuring anymore there's going to be some interventions and that really changes the conversation yeah and i, I would just add to that i mean the, the the promise of drug trials for people who have those very early features of parkinson's disease is fantastic there are already some intervention studies underway using non-drug therapies like exercise as an intervention which also you know in my clinical practice I often say to my patients, you know, well, the, the medication is very important. We can treat, your, treat and manage your symptoms. But just as important as the medication is a healthy lifestyle, a commitment to exercise and mental uh, activity as well. And so we're also starting to see those kind of intervention studies focused on exercise and physical activity coming through uh, that people can take part mm -hmm. in. So it's not just the potential of some medications, but also those can have some additive or improvement effects. Absolutely. Well, we hope so. Yeah, Absolutely. we hope so. Yeah, we don't we know yet. So. Yeah. <laughs> right, and I know there are these uh, organizations out there that are uh, associated with Parkinson's for boxing or other kinds of exercise and activity. And I remember watching my father, you know, getting on that treadmill or getting on that exercise cycle or trying to walk things like around things like that and get, get his exercise in. It's, it's critical. We're, are you now perhaps more excited about the future than maybe a few years back, or is it the same, or has this changed that? Personally, I'm more optimistic than I would have been, say, five years ago, uh, and maybe a lot more than 10 years ago. It does feel like we're moving to something, but I, again, it's, it's the intermediate future. It's not tomorrow, it's not next year, but you get a feeling that things are moving in the right direction. And again, to circle back, the, these, these breakthroughs in Alzheimer's, you know, Parkinson's, I, sometimes we feel like we're a decade behind. Alzheimer's been on the same track, uh, and I hope that's the case, because that might mean that within a few years, will have a similar sort of breakthrough uh, because the diseases overlap a lot <laughs> yeah I would echo that I mean, I mean I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic I think you know for, on a personal note having done predict PD for 10 or 12 years I'm really excited about the fact that we are moving to a stage where we're not just 
recruiting people and asking them some questions, doing a smell test, collecting their DNA and, and risk stratifying them and watching them. But actually we're moving to a point where we can say, okay, we think these people are at higher risk. We can offer them something. We can offer them an intervention study, whether it's a, a, a drug trial potentially or a non-drug intervention study like exercise. We're actually offering them something. Or we can offer them then to take part in PPMI. So I'm very encouraged by that. And yes, as, as, as Dr. Postuma said, the Alzheimer's field, you know, whatever your feelings about the results from the drug trials recently in the Alzheimer's field, this, this reclassification of Alzheimer's towards a biological definition is certainly having an impact. It's certainly offering a framework to test new drugs, and those drugs are showing signals. Whether they're really clinically meaningful or not, for the vast majority of patients, we will, we will yet, to, yet to see, but it's really exciting. Things are definitely moving in a direction. Yeah, I find it fascinating at the conference to see all the different areas of focus and how much is progress has been made and also just unbelievable. I think last year when I came, there were maybe 40-something sites or 43 or something, and I think now there are 51 around the world. And, and I think that's critically important because you have to get a big enough base, obviously, to be able to extract the data that becomes meaningful to say this is the route we should go or here's what we should look at. Yeah, and no, I would. I mean, that's a, so. It's a twenty-five percent increase in the and the critical bit for me. in what you said was around the world, and it's just to touch on this point that what we know about Parkinson's disease, any chronic disease, but Parkinson's disease included, mainly comes from affluent white uh, patient groups and populations. So we really need to understand more about the disease, um, it, you know, in the wider global population. And you know, there were some results which I which I won't show on the podcast, but some results that were shown yesterday in an African PD population, Parkinson's population, showing a standout result in the genetics, the genetic basis of Parkinson's disease in, in Africa. So, so that's fascinating. And that, again, will probably lead on to targeted treatments for certain patient groups. It's fascinating. Yeah, the, the, the globalization is a big thing, I think. You know, we all have our blind spots. All of us who are working come from our own thing, and whatever we're doing is what we pay the most attention to, and we tend to forget what other people are doing. These are all very universal human tendencies. And so having people from not just diverse backgrounds, uh, you know, ethnically or, or, or gender, but, you know, real diversity in terms of expertise and where they're coming from, understanding people from dementia field, people from autonomic fields, patient lived experience, caregivers experience, the more people who are there making decisions, the less blind spots we have. And so I, I really like the, the increasing diversification of, uh, of uh, PPMI. Mm -hmm. I know last night we were able to go see the screening of Still, and uh, Michael was there, obviously, and talked a little about it, which is fascinating. What were your thoughts in watching that movie? I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, I've Long before I got involved in Parkinson's research, I was a Michael J. Fox fan. So, um, <laughs> you know, that I had a kind of real fanboy moment there seeing him on stage. I've never seen him in the, in the flesh before. I thought the, I thought the film was wonderfully put together and, um, and really funny, but also kind of really uh, touching as well. And I think it will hit home to a lot of different audiences. And of course, he, sp and he spoke so well in the question and answer session afterwards. So, you know, it was fantastic. Yeah, it was, a, it was a realistic portrait, I think, uh, and what I appreciated. And I think in the question and answer, uh, Michael had said, uh, no matter what, no violins. Uh, I, lo <laughs> I love that line because it, 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 it's so easy to descend into, you know, sort of model. And, and, and there, it really avoided that. It, it presented sadness, happiness, all uh, in one package all together. 
Yeah, I, li- I like you. It's the first time I've ever seen uh, Michael J. Fox, big time movie fan as well. And I just thought the movie was real. It was just real, you know, not too much one way. Not too, it was just this is this is life. And there were times actually when I watched it and I saw my father and it was a little tearful. And there were times I said, wow, that's just amazing. You know, and I think the approach of this, I, this, I have it. But this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go through this. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to do what I can do was just unbelievably great. Like you said, the no violins piece was just fantastic. And I think the audience really got that. So I would tell people, I'm going to, you know, I've already told a bunch of people, you got to go see Still yeah. when it comes out. It's just a fantastic uh, movie. Any final thoughts from either of you regarding where you are most excited about what we might, you might be looking at in your clinic or in, your, in research, et cetera? I think that I think the things we've said that it feels like we're in the it, no. It, as Dr. Bosuma said, it's not going to be tomorrow. It's not even going to be next year. But we are now more confident that we're on the right path to to doing what we want to do, which is get to an earlier place in the disease and make sure that the diagnosis is accurate at that point, because that's the way that we're going to find drugs that that, that potentially change the underlying process and, and offer a, a cure. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I've been watching people develop Parkinson's and dementia from their prodromal stages for 20 years. I've probably seen about 100 people do it. I'm tired of looking at it. I don't need to watch that anymore. I really want to do something about it. We need to start uh, our preventative trials and uh, any pressure that we can do uh, to get going on this, uh, I'm, I'm fully behind. Yeah, and I think it was fantastic, actually, because we do have a number of companies here that are trying to generate or develop products in the space, a number who may be further along. I know they talked about a certain number that they were looking at for potentially uh, next year for for launching that one thing. And so it's great to see the support from the research community, from obviously the foundation funding this up, and from the various groups that have associated here, and including the pharmaceutical manufacturers. Yeah. So really a great opportunity. I mean, I think that's a key point which we've not made, which is one of the things that this, this progress in biomarkers will, will drive is actually greater interest from the pharmaceutical industry. It's something for them to anchor to and then commit funds to, to do trials. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'd like to thank you both for coming on. It's really a pleasure to get you on Pop Health Week. Pleasure. Thank you. And back to you, Greg. And thank you, Fred. That is the last word on today's broadcast. We do want to thank our listeners for tuning in. I want to thank our special guests, Ronald B. Postuma, MD, Master of Science, Professor at McGill University and the Research Institute of the McGill University Health Center, and Alistair Noyce, member Royal College of Physicians, PhD, consultant neurologist at Queen Mary University of London, Bart's Health NHS Trust for their time and insights today. Dr. Postuma is a clinical researcher and movement disorders neurologist treating patients with Parkinson's disease and related disorders. Dr. Alistair Noyce is a leader in neurology and neuroepidemiology at the Wolfson Institute of Population Health, Queen Mary University of London, and lead of the Preventive Neurology he is also consultant neurologist at Bart's Health NHS Trust, which serves the diverse population of East London. To learn more about their collective works and contributions to diagnose, treat, and cure Parkinson's disease, go to www.michaeljfox.org forward slash researcher and search by name. 
You can follow the Foundation's work on Twitter by at Michael J. Fox, O-R-G. And finally, if you're enjoying our work at Pop Health Week, please like the show on the podcast platform of your choice, share with your colleagues, and do consider subscribing to keep up with new episodes as they're posted. We stream live on Healthcare Now Radio weekdays at 5.30 a.m., 1.30 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. And for you left coasters, 2.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. Pacific. For Pop Health Week, my co-host Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Masters saying, please stay safe, everyone. Bye now. <laughs>